Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the NFL Scotland podcast. A thrilling wild card kicked off the decade in style as most of the road teams rumbled on with the biggest shocks in New England and New Orleans. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. I'm feeling more than a little bit of deja vu as once again the officials seem determined to take at least some of the headlines. We'll be looking back at all of the highlights though and while we know who Paul will be giving his Bobak nomination to, we'll be going through your suggestions from social media. It's then on to the divisional rounds. Another four ties will help determine who might make, oh who cares, Super Bowl 54. We're joined again by Texan fan Ewan Dustaqua to hear his thoughts on how his side may fare. We're all Texans now. <laughs> Not all of us. As ever, though, we'll wrap up with all the latest news, including where will Tua go and wonder if the fat lady is warming her voice up for Brady. We also have another exclusive interview with Michigan player David Ojabo and have an exciting competition for you all, courtesy of one of our new sponsors. Paul, right, we start where we always do. We look back and let's get rid of the elephant in the room. <laughs> it's, a, it's a black and white elephant. <laughs> The floor is yours, sir. Thank you. Do you know what council is in? Do you know what the definition of offensive pass interference is? Because I'll tell you what you saw in the last play in the Saints Vikings game, and it is getting unbelievably tiresome banging on about the referees. So let me just bang on tiresomely about the referees for about twenty minutes. Now, <laughs> I I'm genuinely fed up. I mean. I'll have a little go. I mean, Sky. Seriously, we all know what the Minnesota miracle was. If you couldn't come up with a better pre-game than that, quite frankly, that's awful work. I thought the game itself was fine. The Saints were sloppy, didn't play well. I'd absolutely no doubt Drew Brees was going to bring the Saints back and probably win the game. So the Saints then get pinged for not having everybody set. Kamara, who's nowhere near the line of scrimmage, not affecting anything or anybody, gets pinged. So we get a 10-second runoff. Clock starts immediately on the referee, not even on the count, taking away the chance to go for the end zone. So that, that's a shit call, to be perfectly honest. I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan. I think he's been hardly done by over the years. You know, people have really given him such a hard time. Delighted for him. I could see what was coming because they had nothing to lose. The big throw towards the five-yard line was the play I would have called, and all credit to them. It was offensive pass interference on the game-winning touchdown. Would they have got in? Possibly. But again, it's another New Orleans season ending on a controversy. And I think... Quite frankly, the Saints are fed up of it and everybody else is fed up of it because the Saints have got something to moan about. Personally, I'd like to see Sean Payton come out and blast the officials more than he did. He took it on the chin last year. I think he's been too nice again this year. Come to the game itself. You know, I, I think I've outlined exactly what I've thought over it. You've got to give the Vikings all the credit in the, the world for the way they played, the way they worked and what they did. And good luck to them. Going forward, I think it was part of a real thrilling weekend of football, but I'm still pissed off. <laughs> Which I can understand, and you and you're here as well. Um, if it had been a similar call at the end that was the end of the Texans, uh, I'm sure you would be sitting there going, what on I think for me, the thing is, like, there was a bit of confusion about whether it was going to be looked at. And it wasn't looked at, but then word comes out afterwards that it was looked at. They felt that there was contact between the two players, neither of which amounted to a foul. But we're told that pass interference is pushing off from an offensive point of view. He had an extended arm. Definitely used that to create some level of separation. It 
would have, you would have thought, been called an offensive pass interference, but it doesn't seem to be reviewed. And this rule that came in last year about challenging, I'm assuming that, and I said this to Paul and a few of the guys afterwards, is I assume that you can't then challenge after the game's finished because there was no challenge. And I'm sure Sean Payton would have gone, well, I'll challenge that because why wouldn't you? I don't think you can challenge It's all it booth review. Yeah, it's yeah. all booth review. But just but just for you to start, so Terry McCauley, Sunday night football yeah. referee analyst, it's illegal for an offensive player to extend his arm or arms and create clear separation from the defender. That was OPI. He's in absolutely no doubt. The NFL are going to be like any governing body and come out with the usual wishy-washy crap. Oh, it was on both sides. It wasn't called blah, blah, blah. Spineless and gutless as usual from the NFL. It was OPI. As I say, the Vikings may still have won. No no problem with that. But again, it's just it's a horrible way manner, yeah. to do it. For me, I think it's... I have a, I've had a theory for a long time that I think that the quality of the league we just talked about, you know, there's potentially too many teams in the league and before we started. And I, I've had a theory for a long time that I genuinely do believe that there is a designed anarchy level to this because some of the... To, because it creates clicks and it's proven that the more outrage and the more uproar in an article, it triggers algorithms and it creates more fanfare. So I do believe that genuinely, hand on heart, that that is a, a, a ploy to, to make up for failings in other areas, lack of development of players out with the practice rosters, etc. So the overall quality of the game is down. I think for me, the fact that they didn't even just sort of go through the motions to say we've looked at it, I thought was poor, considering the team that was involved. Not to jump too forward to another game, but there was a pa- offensive pass interference in the first quarter in Seattle, which was softer than the one that wasn't given. And then I think on top of that, there was not only there was a series of play, I think it was in the third quarter, Xavier Rhodes dives helmet first, not flagged. The next possession of the Vikings, uh, Gardner Johnson's flagged for the the same thing. Uh, and yeah, it's salt in the wounds. I can imagine how you'd feel, Paul. And it's <laughs> it's not it's not easy um, to, to to have your season ended three years in a row, which a team on paper, you know, didn't have too many injuries, um, apart from it, edge and defensive tackle relatively healthy Pete struggled I thought in the game and it was in what stood out for me actually just on that last fumble was Ramsick getting beaten he's been unbelievable this season he's been tremendous been the rest, best yeah. right tackle in the game yeah. I think the other thing I mean if I want to dial it back to the Saints the end of the first half was as dumb a series of plays I've ever seen the Saints decide to run first of all they should have let it run down to the two minute warning before that play that Breeze decided to throw the ball downfield because there was no advantage to taking it because if the Saints had scored off of that, you were leaving all that time and the timeouts for the Vikings. So in my limited knowledge of this game, you run it down to the two-minute warning and you just plug it up and keep going. I mean, even kicking the field goal there was enough to give you a touchdown margin. It was an insane decision by the Saints to go down that route. Yes, so the Vikings then score and the Saints miss the field goal, just everything about that was wrong and that's bad game management and you don't normally get that from Sean Payton and Drew Brees. That's an awful call. Brees had his thumb strapped as he has done throughout the season. Do you think that thumb's 100%? No, but then again, I think, you know, the defensive players aren't 100%. Nobody's 100%. No. Now, it's hard for a quarterback, but I, I never like to use injuries as, as an but excuse. He was so, I mean, he, even by his own... 
high standards when he has an off game. He really was just off. Taysom Hill was your most dangerous threat in every single position on offense, uh, including quarterback. That throw... Um, it was just amazing. I mean, obviously, he just put it into a grassy patch and the receiver went up and got it. But that was the type of play that kind of gave you the momentum again. That got people back up, out their feet. And it felt like the noise in the dome was super loud at the beginning, but it definitely had tailed off. That spiked it back up again. And that's exactly the sort of time where you go like, right, we need to use this. It's a big play. You ended up going in, obviously, uh, got the touchdown. That's fine. But you carry that forward and it just didn't ever seem to click for any period of time. No, I mean, I, I was really disappointed with the way they played, but conversely, I was fully confident that they would come back, you know, to tie the game up and again, possibly win it, as I referenced earlier. Again, just another really tardy, bad call. If they're saying let players play, well, that was one to let them let them play through. I just, I, I'm disappointed that the Saints didn't play better. I'm delighted that Minnesota played well because I think they get a lot of stick. But again, it comes down to officials and I don't believe there's an agenda against New Orleans. I wouldn't go that far. But, you know, there's clearly... Uh, Sick of being on the wrong end of it. Yeah, and I mean, that Minnesota miracle, that's fine. That's a football play. Yeah. I've still no problem with that. I mean, it was shocking secondary play, <laughs> but I've no problem with the fact that, you know, Case Keenum went for it and got it. So no worries with that one whatsoever. The last two years have just been unbelievable. Taysom Hill as well is a free agent at the end of the season. I think so he's going to put a, a restricted free agent. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the Saints will, will have to pony up and pay for him. I don't know what Breeze does. I don't know what Brady does. Uh, you know, where they go. I mean, I saw actually an article today in the USA Today, the restricted version that we get over in this country, suggesting that Brady could land in New Orleans. I mean, I can only presume the guy being hit in the head by Clowney before he wrote the article. It's just, come on. So speaking of, we'll move on to the other controversy because this is the one that has sort of noised up a lot of the Philadelphia Eagles fans. And there's been some comments as well questioning Carson Wentz's injury proneness. This has got nothing to do with injury proneness. This is a dirty, cheap play by Jadavian Clowney. Ewan's there, I can see him, he's going to defend him. Um, But Clowney Clowney did a similar thing to the Eagles before. Grabbed the helmet, obviously resulted in a... Uh, concussion for Foles, I think it was. Yep. Um, this time it was Clowney for the Seahawks hitting Vince, who was on his way down. Clowney's come down on the top of him, hit his head, ultimately taking Vince out the game. I'll be honest, even with him, I'm not sure that the Eagles would have beaten the Seahawks. Uh, I think that DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson continue to do what they do. Uh, he, you know, Marshawn Lynch is starting to find his groove. Uh, and they've picked him up at the exact right time where he can come and be a threat in the in the postseason. And if I'm a Packers fan, I'm definitely worried about them coming into Lambeau. But that game for the Eagles fans will forever be the one where Clowney got away with a cheap shot on Carson Vince. I'm all for referees making mistakes and not getting the calls right. But when you've got a guy sitting with a telly in a replay booth with a million camera angles, there is no excuse so it comes back, we talked about the OPI in the Saints game, which should have been picked up. OK, I know some people think it was 50-50, however, I don't. This one, to me, looked like targeting. That's what they call it in college. College, several of the bowl games this year have used it. And a couple of times you think, oh, the guy's actually been a little bit unlucky. Yeah. But they err on the other side. I don't know what it would have taken for them to actually say that Clowney was innocent on this. It's just... To me, it's dumb. I don't know. I mean, you yeah, you might I've, have a slightly different take, but... 
he was one of probably my favourite personalities of 10 years watching Houston. It's hard to think he would mean it. Now, the play you reference, I'm pretty sure he hit him in the chest with his helmet. It was a 15-yard penalty at that time. Effectively cost us automatic seed last year. It's hard, as you said, Paul, like, if that was in college, it was targeting, he'd been ejected from the game. Was it a flag? Yes. Did he necessarily mean it? I think sometimes people, because particularly for defensive ends, get so soaked up in sacks when actually it's pressures, it's quarterback hits. Until you watch that guy and how much of an athlete he is and the weight he is and the speed that he runs at, it's pretty t- difficult to stop um, your, yourself. Now, was it potentially clumsy? Could have maybe put the brakes on a bit earlier. Yeah, but that's his game. He's full effort chasing down, you know, the, the second phase of the game. And it's, I mean, did he mean it? I don't know. Um, and I'm not, suge- uh, I'm no. not suggesting that he definitely did. No. I think that I think a lot of people said he did, though. I think yeah, that was, yeah. And I can see that argument. And I think that you know, I I am very careful because I'm a Niner, uh, and I've ranted about the aggressive style of the Seattle defense for a number of years. And this is the way that they have played under the leadership of Pete Carroll. They've played nasty and hard. Now, nasty doesn't necessarily mean wrong or cheating. I just mean they play nasty. Uh, There's always been a team in the NFL that has been the nasty team. For me, it has been Seattle for for a number of years. They kind of went off the boil. They didn't have the players there necessarily to live up to that, though the likes of Michael Bennett and Sherman and all that moving away. Bringing in Clowney is a move back to having the cap- the the player capable of having a bit of a sh- nasty streak that you want to have on your defense when you need to go and win a game, especially away from home, especially when you need to silence a crowd. Ultimately, he's done it. Uh, you know, Josh McCown has come in and is the oldest ever uh, quarterback to make his uh, debut in the the postseason. Um, yeah, it was the, just a second that. postseason game in seventeen years, which is quite quite amazing. But just just to come back to Clowney. His intent actually doesn't matter. Mm. To me, he hit him in the head and you're gone. As somebody who referees rugby, albeit not particularly well, <laughs> you are taught the intent actually doesn't matter. You're Especially with the high tackle thing at the moment. You know, Some referees start, if you go into a high tackle and hit the head or the shoulder, some referees start from the point of view that's a red and talk me down. Others say, you know, it, it's it's a penalty, talk me up. It just depends on which way that you look at things. And in this case, the officials obviously felt it wasn't. I think the majority of people felt it was. Intent, again, sometimes nothing to do. I've seen rugby matches this year where guys have been sent off. They've not meant, clearly to me, they've not meant to do what's happening, taking somebody in the air or somebody lands and you miss time. That actually doesn't matter. Okay. Um, it mm-hmm. might when it comes to... You know, whether you get suspended for four games or two games, you know, you can claim a mitigating circumstance. But in the moment, I think I think you've got to go. He'll have a FedEx uh, envelope in his locker, I'm sure, when he gets in today. Um, I think the if you watch the, the one that Derek Barnett got flagged for at the end of the second half, that was 15 yards rough in the pass, and it was nowhere near, you know, it was a much cleaner hit. Um one thing I would say, the events continued to play and he actually competed a, th- a third down, albeit it was pulled back to a, f- a flag to G.G. Arcega-Whiteside. So I think maybe in the old days, he probably would have played the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, and I, I I tried to go back through it and actually I had to rewind it twice to actually, because I missed it in the first instance just with the way the, ca- the original camera angle was. And on the broadcast, they didn't cover it a huge amount um, to the point 
that it's been covered subsequently. Um, so it's one of these ones, I think, I mean, I, I, interesting Cameron's point on Seattle. I, I, I kind of view them in a different light to the point that, yes, they are scraping together offensive performance and they still threw, th- you know, over 300 yards in the game. But they were against a very, very ill-health Philadelphia side. Seattle themselves, left tackles questionable they'll play the rest of the season. Dwayne Brown, they're on their sixth-choice running back, if you include Marshall Lynch from when they started the season. They've lost they've lost multiple players there. So is that defence that great? I'm not too sure. Can they necessarily put up lots of points? Considering who they were playing, and it to end up 17-9 and not dominate themselves, I think when it comes to higher-powered offences, i.e., you know, the rest of the NFC, if they are to proceed past this weekend coming. I don't necessarily think they've got the firepower to do it or the defence to hold people down. So, interesting. I just... That was my take, certainly, watching the last couple of weeks. I genuinely think, and we'll come on to this, but I genuinely think Russell Wilson is an X-factor off the level of Aaron Rodgers. And it is ultimately about how the pieces around them do. Uh, One bit of credit I'm going to give to the officials this week. Because there's one thing in particular, uh, one play, and it was at the start of the second half in the Texans-Bills game. The kickoff happens, the the the, the fair catch is signalled for, but it's subtle. Um, the player catches it, doesn't take the knee, flips the ball to the referee who hasn't necessarily seen it, isn't totally sure. He lets the play play out. Then they have a discussion and then they go, nah, that's not a thing. At the time, it was immediately like, oh, no, that's definitely not. But at least they played it out. They had the discussion. They came to the right conclusion. Now, had they not, you would have been sitting here ranting like Mr. Mitchell over there. But um, ultimately, they, they played that out, and it was fine. Um, I mean, that could have been catastrophic. That's a direction, I think, from the league. I think, um, you know, it was the same with, I think it was... Um Bell took it back for a touchdown when it was said to be a fumble from Dalvin Cook and they've got to let it play and then review it if it's I think basically in case they score or they don't score that's where they because they don't have a point to to sit reset the ball on that one that was a unique one in the sense it was a kickoff for the second half and I don't know if you want to move on to that game now but yes because let's, let's but, move hang on, to the on game. a second okay. you, you've just triggered me again all right okay let's get the grumbles in you, you, you know because there's a lot of positivity we are coming round to the which positivity. was the right call that Levy on Bell from <laughs> you know you know what but that just shows you the fine margin of sport and that's what I'm not going to complain about the calls because they were both right but if you look at the fine margins of sport the Saints ran two back you know and for an inch of an E going down you know the Saints are through and that that's what I was going to say to keep it positive that's what you love about the NFL yes. because sometimes you think you've got it and it just comes back because the guy's knees down and that's where replay proves it to be correct you know and you, you do feel let down but it just added to the woes of the Saints, I think, at the, at the weekend. It was interesting when you see the extra officials they've got at the uh, at the playoff games ran onto the pitch, had a very quick word with the referee, and I think the, the, the phrase used in the commentary was, and we'll get onto the commentary, Paul, because that was excellent for a critiquing point of view <laughs> uh, on ESPN. Um, but they said common sense prevailed, and I think that's exactly what it was. He did stick his arms out. Um, Look, and it was subtle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was subtle yeah. at the time. I I didn't think he had. I was like, oh no. And let's let's bring it back round to the positive. Okay, yeah. every single one of the games was a single possession game. Uh, for a wild card weekend, brilliant. We got upsets, two biggies. Um, we had one hell of a comeback, and actually. The Eagles-Seahawks was a bit of a disappointing end uh, to the whole thing. I think of the four games, it was the poorest as far as a contest. Um, but let's go back. 
And let's, you're obviously here. We have to talk about the Texans because that was character. And whatever Bill O'Brien said at halftime, it worked. Yeah, I mean, I covered it in my own podcast last night. and um, Cheeky wee plug it, there. It was, oh, good uh, plug, good plug. <laughs> it was a turn up for... Turn up for what if you're a Texas fan? I didn't um, what turn up as well, but we'll come on to that. Um, well, that it was it was a, a question rather than a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of many years of disappointment how that name originated. But and I thought it was that again to be honest, because and we'll come on to another big officiating flag in overtime. But if you said to me that we would have taken seven sacks, we'd have missed nineteen tackles, we'd have started slow again, we would drop two interceptions one was a surefire pick six at seven zero only have 64 yards in the first half fail on a fourth down call with one minute and a half to go give up 172 yards on the ground hopkins to fumble in our own half at 13 zero there was limited chance for that game now i think and probably how i struggle with it as a fan and i didn't actually appreciate the game at all i don't think at the time stressed yeah, I, and that's the first time ever watching a game of genuinely stopped drinking beer and drop water because my head was pounding. And <laughs> and it wasn't until after, and then I looked at it, and then usually I don't I put my phone to one side when the games are on, I don't like reading it, and it's sometimes ahead of the game pass or whatever you're watching it. Picked up my phone, and that's the most messages I've had about a Texans game ever, I think. <laughs> and, uh, including yourself, yeah. Cameron. And, uh, but I think what people need to realise with Watson is there's actually two versions of Watson. There is Deshaun Watson, who played for the final 22 minutes. There's also another guy that trolls out sometimes called Deshaun Vertson. <laughs> and, for, and you saw him for the best part of 44 minutes. Yeah. Um, when that switch flips, I think he's the best quarterback in the league, but he's not consistent enough. Yeah. Um, and the difference between his peak and his and his trough is seismic and he needs to mature out of that but what you did see at the end of a game was a player who quite cheekily in many ways it was all over the broadcast because it was a cheesy cheesy production I thought um, but at the end of the interview at the, on the sideline he said I told everybody let's be great and I said why could it not be me now only a certain type of player with a certain type of mentality would ever say that on a camera um, so I mean the sky's the limit for him and it's already shown that in college um, and the upside we'll talk about it, the yeah. play that for me is summed up the the game the turning point of the game and where the Texans went from they're going to lose not they're going to win this and it's when he got out of that double tackle and I've watched it so many times when he spins with the two players hunting him down against what is a really hard um, and effective Bills defence how he got out of that, I still don't know. I think he bounced off both of them, pirouetted, ducked down, and managed to escape, and then found his man uh, for a vital first down. He it did was a, a huge yeah, play. He did an almost, I, not, in fact, it was even better against uh, Oakland this year when he got kicked in the eye. Yeah. Couldn't see it in one eye, still found the tight end in the, in the end zone. That was, a, that was a, a strange play in many ways because I think his, his biggest challenge is accepting the blitz and setting protections and at, I put out actually on on our Twitter feed today about the, the seven sacks that he took and I think arguably six are his fault if not you know if not five at worst um, so he you know the he the, the team is led by him and that that is what it starts when it ends and he makes up for you know there is some big flaws there um, but the and it was a great play. I've seen it do it too many times. You probably come complacent and you don't like to think, you need to take these things for granted. But the, the play that changed it for me and what I thought was audible in the broadcast was the Watt sack. Because he kept it to a two-score game at that point. And then not only that, we get the ball, we score. 
we get back to the game, Watt and Merciless get back to the quarterback. And then on the next play, or sorry, the next sorry, sorry, the next the next one was then uh Jacob Martin pulls a flag uh on a on the tight end fouls him. Then the next play, Merciless strip sacks him, uh, Jacob Martin picked uh recovers it and then we only kick a field goal at that point still probably thought maybe we were going to lose it then we get another goal go for two points twice in the game Hopkins just comes alive which he's done I think I listened to something earlier that said in the first half he's in like the ranked something like the 40th receiver in the second half of the game he's the second best receiver in the league because he comes alive they tried to play him inside pushed him back out against Tredavious White probably shouldn't have been as scared as they were of him gets all pro I think people read into that sometimes too much Showed him, you know, what a player he is, just like he did to Stefan Gilmore this year as well. He's done it to every, he does it to every, you know, he did it to Jalen Ramsey twice a year, and they were great battles to watch. But everything on that sack of what turned the game. And all of a sudden, we hadn't had a pass rush for eight weeks. All of a sudden, you know, we're getting three, four players to the quarterback at once. Watson starts turning it on. And yeah, it just kind of came together, I think. But despite that, managed to mess it up, try and go for a fourth down. Mm. Missed that again. Star Lutalele blew up the play twice in the third and two and then the fourth and one um, and could have kicked a field goal at that point the six point lead I think it was one twelve on the clock zero timeouts so it, it it was I mean for a neutral it must have been a classic and as I said I think that was shown by the sort of reaction of everybody I think Ian Rappaport tweeted this game's drunk you know and I think yeah. that was a kind of quite a, quite, a, quite a nice way to put it and with a with a sort of kind of not so uh, not so acute term but it was it was it was a great game and um but it could have easily gone away, and I come back to the officiating uh, point. Good to get your guys' view on it. it was a 15-yard penalty took them out of field goal range, but the Bills um, they would have won a game in overtime after Fells had a drop on our first drive of the ball in overtime. And it, to me, it was the correct interpretation of a rule that makes no sense, along with many rules. Mm. Like if you have your one, toe one centimetre ahead at the line of scrimmage for the ball snap, that's somehow an advantage and as a penalty. But yeah, I thought it was a right interpretation of. You, you can only apply the law as the law is there to be applied. Uh, I think if you're a Bills fan, you're probably fairly pissed off at that because that was the chance to win. I think, I mean, it was it was a strange game, but I think if you're a Bills fan, I think you've got mixed feelings. It's a game you should have won on the road. You know, you don't like to give up that kind of lead. But I think the good thing about the NFL and college football as well, I think as long as you're only a couple of scores down, you're always in it. Because I mean, we've seen enough games where either teams roar back in the second half, you know, after teams have got ahead. I think it was uh, Clemson came back in Ohio State. They were 16 nothing down. So, you know, you see it. Um, the question I've got for the Bills is, are they ready to take the next step if the Patriots are in disarray? Not saying the Patriots are necessarily in disarray because they've got Bill Belichick. But if they move on from Brady, they don't have the obvious successor in the room. The Bills are well stacked defensively if they can then keep that. I know Miami have got a pile of picks to come, but the next year or two for the Bills looks quite hopeful. Yeah, and I think that Josh Allen started that game so well and was as effective for the Bills as Lamar Jackson has been for the Ravens. Where he, I think Lamar Jackson's taken a massive leap forward this year is in his throwing capability. And I think that still for Josh Allen, he needs to improve. He needs targets as a start, so they definitely need to go and get some wide receivers. But I still think his throwing ability isn't quite up to the standard where he can manage out a game and just get the extra first downs to just take the sting out of a, uh, a Texans team that had the wind in their sails. There was a, probably the least under, or the, the, it'll go under the radar play right at the end of the 
first quarter, I think it was, maybe in the second quarter, he held on the ball just a tick too late. John Smokey Brown then steps out of bounds with the ball and he would have been in, you yes. know, where would have had right a first the goal. Yeah. And that, I think that was, that was potentially even a turning point as early as that. He didn't know it yet. There was still a lot of play to be gone. He, he threw a couple. I thought, I think they're close. The, that defence with Terrell Edmonds, Phillips, Hughes, uh, Shaq Lawson, it's a great unit. And I think they're young and they've got, you know, they're going to have them together depending on salary cap. Brandon Bean's done a great job there as the GM. McDermott's a very sort of admirable, you know, lunch pail guy to use, a, you know, one for a better phrase. And he, I, I think they've got a, a good chance of being there, but yet they need to improve at tight end. I think that Dawson Knox didn't actually was down the pecking order, but I thought it was quite impressed with him when I watched him uh, before. Um, it's the best year, well, they say this every year, but supposedly this is the best year in the draft for a wide receiver. Um so they'll have a pick of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're close. I yeah. think it's just a couple of pieces. A couple of pieces and go and get Alan to practice his throwing because he can run. We know he can run. He's more than capable. Practice throwing the ball. Sub 60% accuracy, slow starters, and that's always going to kill you, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, some of the, the QB design runs, he looks like a linebacker, like a bit like Cam Newton used to do when <laughs> yeah. he was running the ball. He's but you've got to be careful with that because we saw what happened to, you know, said Cam Newton and Carolina. Now, moving on from there, it's too late to be scared said Tom Brady with his social media tweet. Uh, out came the inspirational video and everyone's like, oh, this has got something special about it. And it did, because the Titans won and nobody really saw it coming. Now, I got, um, I put a tweet out from NFL Scotland saying nobody really predicted that, to which someone replied saying loads of people were predicting that. I'm not convinced many people were predicting a Titans win with a massive amount of confidence. Now, I thought about putting it in in our picks, and I said to you before. Yeah, I said you said you yeah, the same thing. I did fancy the them. Titans, um, but I didn't. Um, and the reason I didn't was because I just can't rule out the Patriots. So this is where I'm like, you might have thought, oh, do you know what? The Titans really have a chance. Here. They've got a really good team. And we've said all season long, the way to beat them is the run. And that's been proven time and time again, really. <laughs> Not time and time again. They didn't lose that many games. But they've shown themselves to be... Uh, susceptible to the run. Um, Derek Henry ran all over them. And a coaching masterclass, I think, from Mike Vrabel, and we'll come on to that in our awards because I think he gets a few nominations in there. But they did ex- they did what Belichick does to other people, and they game-managed that right down to the point. And ultimately, Tom Brady, now he's not going to retire, but just imagine he retired on a pick six. Who do you think he is? Jameis Winston? Come on. (laughs) You know, that's just a footnote for Tom Brady, let's be honest. It's not going to matter in the the grand scheme of things. He won't want to go out on that, I'm fairly sure, and make him back. Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick, you know, it takes two to want to do these things and just typical Belichick. Not often the Patriots lose back-to-back games at home. Certainly not back-to-back games in which they're highly favoured. So... Give all the credit in the world to the Titans. I hate the Titans. Because at the start of the season, I was banging on about how good they would be. Yep. Gave up on them because of some of the stupid losses. And then they decide to come back again. <laughs> Nobody knows who the hell they are. But they're hot at the right time. They, they won the game probably, or the big, well, it is their biggest game in the season, and probably Tannehill's worst performance. Yeah. Uh, he was, I, I, you know, looked like Miami Tannehill yeah. rather than... This version that we've seen, I've been convinced all year that it's not going to last. And I, I do hope as a AFC rival foe that they will extend them uh, or pay the running back because they're going to have to extend one or the other. I don't know if they can do both. Um, 
concerning some of the other contracts they've handed out. I mean, they just ran the ball. I and mean, I think it's it's strange, like you were saying about the betting, that it, we've, there's been so many lessons learned of you know prediction or a bet that you've made that they will they will uh the, you will be taught not to bet against them now yeah it finally seems like the time that it could and i'm glad to see i did um at the weekend. <laughs> and uh and it was it was it, it's strange i i think the 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 trying to shoehorn all these wide receivers and they're overdrafted in keel harry in the first round you saw how important you know well i mean every every offense is, is, has a, a need for a tight end but a hall of fame first ballot tight end coming out of that offense they didn't have any great answers and even down at the stretch last year they just ran the ball incredibly well they couldn't do that this year mm-hmm. and they just didn't put any points that the one that they lost to Miami at the end of the season was a big one for me that was what I thought definitely the Titans will go there and win because they'll run the ball down their throat and, they'll, and they won't be able to put up enough points and they'll control the time of possession it's interesting you see that all the passing leaders in the league this year, very few of them are in the playoffs. Yeah, we referenced that on last week's but It's incredible. The top, I think top five, you know, nobody yeah. there. It's yeah. just, it is a different game at the moment, you know, and it's evolved in a slightly different way. I was just surprised the Patriots didn't have any answers. They looked a little bit devoid for me of, of, of anything creative. And I think that's where... Brady did, I think, show his age because I would have still trusted Breeze to come back in that situation. When I was watching that, I wasn't trusting Brady, partly because he didn't have the cast with him as well. It's interesting to note, if you look at the, the stats from the game, so you're talking about receiving, you know, the, the most effective pure wide receiver was Julian Edelman with three catches for 30 yards. You know, the top receivers are running back in James White. Okay, granted, he catches the ball a lot. Then it's Ben Watson. Then it's Rex Burkhead. Then it's Edelman, uh, Harry got 21 yards, uh, Mohamed Sanu got 11, Philip Dorsett got 6. Um, it was disappointing, you know, Sonny Michel, 61 yards on the ground, um, Edelman putting 12 on the ground himself, Harry did that. Uh, there was lots of the typical sort of Belichick rotation of roles and, and what have you, but it just it wasn't effective. It just wasn't getting the job done. And I agree, it felt like when you maybe needed that really big play from Brady, it wasn't coming through. And actually, as the game went on, uh, watching it, and I, I, I'll be honest, see, after the Bills-Texans uh, game, I went to my bed. I was knackered because it was thrilling. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tape the, the Patriots game. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Got up on Sunday morning and watched it. And the whole way through, I was like, nah, they're coming back because they always do. They're coming back because they always do. And I was like, but it doesn't feel right in me saying it because I don't know that they are. Uh, and it was, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't. Um, lots of questions right away about, retiring there was loads of chat about this beforehand almost right away oh, it's unlikely no I don't think I'll be back there and I don't think he will retire whether he's in New England or not is maybe more of a talking point he's not going to retire on that um, but interesting we talked about the fact that this was the first time since 2010 when they ticked over the decade last year was the last time that the Patriots were in the wild card and they went out in the wild card come round to 2020 and they've started this decade exactly as they've started the last and ultimately we've got a new Super Bowl champion coming which isn't a bad thing a sneaky winner out of that game as well was actually the Atlanta Falcons I think their second round pick for Mohamed Sanud now translates to the 55th overall it's the lowest they've been picked they've picked in the draft since then 
interestingly, there, there's been so many rumours about Brady selling his house, moving out of the area. Now, he's a West Coast guy, California, yep. big Joe Montana fan. He didn't finish his career in the one team. Does he want to do the same? Does You know, Brett Favre played for two other teams. Does he see any value in that at this stage of his career, considering what he's achieved? Interesting to find out. I don't know. Yeah, but, but what it does go to show is that, and history isn't always a guarantee of what's going to happen, but... You know, San Francisco moved on from Montana. Green Bay moved on from Favre. It does happen. Therefore, I think the chances of him going somewhere else for a couple of years are high because he'll believe he can play. There's a well-trodden theory that the coaching staff and the personnel department wanted to move to Garoppolo and Kraft stepped in. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and he's, he's ran a reasonably well, you know, some court cases and, you know... The podcast that you referenced about Paul and, um, and Hernandez and stuff, you know, and obviously they've had a lot of infractions on the rules. But you know, if you in a league that's set up for parity, they've had a long, long domination at the you know in the AFC, and you know, and the amount of Super Bowls they've won, the amount of championship games they've been to. It had to come to an end at some point. It extended to an unbelievable level. Now, could they come back and be you know a strong team next year if Brady stays? Yeah, will they probably find somebody else? Yeah, I mean, it's 20 years, I think, this month that uh, Bilicek walked out on the Jets when he was meant to take over from Parcells and, you know, stranger things have happened. So um, rumours are Nick Casario's going to leave, come to Houston. Josh McDaniels is always touted for a job. He almost took the Colts, then walked out on them and then yep. ended up with Frank Reich. So, I mean, there's so many things that can happen in there and it's going to be a, a really... It, the most interesting off-season in Foxborough there's been for, you know, pre-Brady when it yeah. was still Drew Bledsoe. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Right, let's go to social media and we'll look at our weekly awards that we give away. Um, we obviously ask you to put in your pitches and then we'll all give ours um, at the end of all that. Michael McLeod, he got in touch early. He said, his belter is not all the Titans. It's not even Derek Henry. It has to be Mike Vrabel. He out-Belichicked Belichick with his game management taking nearly two minutes off the clock in the final quarter. You've got to know them rules. And it was. That's what I was alluding to earlier. Yeah. Masterclass. Brilliant. Um, Chaz, his belter is the Titans O-line. Uh, Bowfin was Booger McFarlane saying Josh Allen should run a play on third, then spike the ball on fourth. Yes, not a not a great look. Uh, Bobag was the clowny hit on Vents. Uh, George Jackson, he's belter. Toss-up between Dalvin Cook and Deshaun Watson. Bowfin, heartbreaking to say my team, the Saints, were poor for a majority of the game. Also, overtime rules. We'll come back to that in a minute. Bob Ag for him, is a commentating team at Pat's Titans. Just spoke about the Patriots and Brady. The whole game barely mentioned the Titans. Didn't pick up on that with Romo. I think the bigger team will always get yeah. more of what the broadcast... It's the bigger story, I guess. Plus, the, the, the Brady era. I think once you start hearing... Once you start hearing something in a broadcast, that's what you tend to get attracted to. Even if... Thereafter, the broadcast split down the middle. You're attracted to the the parts that perhaps are irritating you more. Ian got in touch. His belter is the Titans beating the cheat traits, as he calls them. Uh, Bowfin was the Eagle Seahawks game, and Bobags Saints fans always blaming the refs when they get outplayed. I'll let you pick up on that one with him directly on Twitter. He's tagged you in. That'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, this is the wave that will give him, which doesn't quite come across in a podcast. Just as well. This is a family show. LJ, he got in touch to say Belter, Titans defeating the Patriots, specifically Mike Vrabel being the real Belter. Mike Vrabel, even. Um, 
Bowfin Texans first half performance. They were sleeping for the first 30 minutes of a playoff. Ballbag Jadavian Clowney intentionally trying to injure another professional is pathetic. So clearly intentional in the views of LJ, who is a Steelers fan. Uh, Tony B has belted out the demise of the dynasty. Credit to the Titans and Vrabel's clock management using Belichick's own loophole tactics. Bowfin was Josh Allen's fourth quarter performance, sold the jerseys. And Ballbag is either Clowney for the dirty hit on Carson Vents or the refs for missing it or both. Paulie then, he got in touch to say Belter was wild card weekend in general. The sixth seed had their day. Bowfin was the Saints clock management at the end of regulation time, meaning that they were at the mercy of potentially bad officiating. And Bobag is Jerry Jones for delaying the inevitable for so very long. Matt McLaughlin, his belters also Mike Vrabel, taking down Bill Belichick and Tom Brady in their own backyard. Bowfin is the Buffalo collapse. Bobag can't actually think of one, so he's given it to Clowney on vents. Uh, Lauren Callahan, his belter, is this the weeks and uh, the games in general. Very little in the margin of victory in any game, let alone having two go to overtime. Bowfin was the Bills collapsing, and Bobak for him was whether a Rooney Rule interview or not. The reports that Marvin Lewis told Dallas and other teams that Hugh Jackson would be his offensive coordinator is not really going to garner much in the way of job opportunities. Interesting, yeah? Mm-hmm. And Chris Breen, he, to wrap this up, he says, Belter, Derek Henry, Bowfin, overtime rules, Bobak, Jadavian, cheap shot, clowny. Guys... <laughs> thoughts on that on the on the i'm sure i tagged you in it before and i think somebody needs to take that pen off booger mcfarlane because every time <laughs> he's trying to illustrate the, the zone in a tampa two look he draws a phallic object in two circles at the bottom of it and yep. he keeps doing it and he and the, his other use of great use of the pen was to continually circle jg watt at every play and then circle the, t- the tackle opposite one which was most of the time was was the rookie cody ford um I think it was it was that alertly drawn ball bags on national screen. I think is uh, is, is some feat. I don't know how many other people have done that in broadcasting. Paul, maybe you can tell me. But you know, have you ever drawn a ball bag, Paul? Uh, well, let's draw a picture of Booger McFarlane. ESPN have to move on. Yeah, they gave it a second year with Witten out the booth. They have to move on. Now, I've said before, Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts would be the thing to bring in. I'll tell you what, I didn't watch the Eagles-Seahawks game. I listened to it. It was on Talk Sport 2, Will Gavin hosted, and it was Kevin Harlan. Man, I mean, he's great on television. He's even better on radio. You know, there's very few people can go between the two mediums, and he was utterly outstanding in what was a really poor game, Mm. but his descriptions of where everything was... And, and everything happening it was just absolutely outstanding. So he gets actually one of my best nominations. They would do worse than put him in the Monday night booth as well. And ESPN have a, a number of quality commentators that are covering college football every single Saturday. So hopefully they give one of those teams the opportunity to step up into it uh, and move on and give no, I think you've got to go outside ESPN. I don't think there's enough good enough ones. There's better at Fox and CBS, two and three crews, that I think you just go and open the checkbook and you say you're coming over. Um, and who wouldn't go to Monday Night Football yeah. because of its iconic status? You're not up against any other game because just some of it's awful. I mean, the pre-game's fine. Mm. Uh, largely fine. Their graphics are a bit hideous. I've complained about they're, them They're before. definitely better than they were. Yeah. They've improved them as I say. They were good that they listened to and they picked up on the problems with the yellow flags and they've moved on from that. I quite, I quite like how they give you the personnel groupings actually because I think you know if you're new to the game and you're, you're not sure what an 11 or a 12 or a 13 looks like, it's on the screen for you. But, um, I think that's good but yeah, it's just, I mean, I've... I've 
it's tough to listen and it's a shame i mean I, i'm you know not a lot of us work in a job which is in a public eye you know ready for the criticism and everything that comes with that sort of privileged position that he's in but yeah i mean it was really bad and i thought the whole time they were zooming in on jg was brother in the crowd <laughs> they were uh yeah were some, kept, some of the direction know. was appalling it's yeah. just you expect better from ESPN. I mean, it's not the commentator's fault if the director's going all over the shop and giving you the same shots to look at. But then again, they've been at that for sort of 16, 17 weeks. You know, there comes a point where you've got to say, stop giving me, you know, what's brother? That's just getting annoying. You know, it's just, yeah, there, there's something wrong over there. Ball bag. I mean, Clowney is the ball bag for the for the week. Whether he meant it or not, I think it's had such an effect. Now, I took issue with Brian Greasy on the radio comedy. Thought, well, he'll get fined for that. He'll get fined for that. Who cares? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you take out the guy and that helps you win by taking out their their quarterback, being being fined's not going to matter. Twenty grand as well Dude. when you're on several million is nothing. Pointless. Um, it is pointless. Uh, no, I I don't disagree. I think Bobag has to be Jadavian Clowney. Just there's nobody else really I can think of that would fill into that slot. Bowfin, for me, I'm assuming you'll give to this the officiating team at the Saints game. I'll but... give it to the officials actually across quite a lot of the games, but more or less I'll give it actually more specifically to the replay officials. Okay, because yeah. they're they're just not doing the job. I mean, I can understand somebody getting it wrong on the field. I think. You mentioned it already. There were several plays where they weren't blown dead, which is the right thing to do. So, you know, you've got to give credit when it's there, but they're just not using replay properly. And some of the calls are ticky-tacky, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, Belter then. Belter Kevin Harlan for me. I mean, it was just <laughs> outstanding to listen to. As a broadcaster, I hadn't heard him on the radio before. He was utterly outstanding. The description, absolutely every box you would want ticked. Um... And, you know, I might not be the, the best broadcaster in this country, but I know what a good one sounds like and I know what a bad one sounds like. Um, <laughs> and my willingness to keep on working in this industry means I'm not going to reveal anything uh, good or bad about UK broadcasting with the exception of Robbie Savage. However, <laughs> I like to praise people who are good and, you know, the American stuff. Booger McFarlane is a decent guy to put in a panel of three or four people. He is not a match analyst but Kevin Harlan was outstanding yeah um, anyone that you want to put forward for a belter well I think when, you, when you've when you got a quarterback that also resembles a you know Swan Lake ballerina to get a you know double pressures I think yeah. it's tough to, to top that but I mean there were so many candidates particularly the running backs and um, Cook yeah. Henry you know there's, there, there was a lot uh, it was a good weekend I think overall I mean the, the quality of the games is so much better when you know when, when a lot of the teams that aren't there when there is multiple teams tanking the, the standard of what you're watching was much better because at this times this year it's not been great yeah Mike Vrabel for me I think that it was um, absolutely knowing the rules in a very particular scenario played massively into the hands of the Titans so um, he gets it for me but I think you're right there's a lot of great performances a lot of great games but so, the, th the thing with Vrabel though I mean he, he was a game away from being out of job yeah so as much as he's getting lauded for this he loses to the Texans. I think he's out of job with a seven and nine season. I yeah. think he's gone, um, and that just again shows you the margins that, that you're operating to. I don't have a lot of time for Mike Vrabel for one. I think he's one of the classic NFL pre-made coaches, predetermined. You have, you have that that, and we'll come on to the new coach and stuff that's come out today. 
and there's probably a similar one in there as well but it's you know he's a guy that commands a room and whatever and all this kind of stuff and fine you've got to be a leader of you know 52 53 guys in a, on a roster but yeah i mean yeah i, I find him a bit old school jock for me I just don't know I think there's the games kind of changing a bit and he's kind of that way but look I think that rule the particular um, that'll be that'll get changed I think at the next owners meeting that yeah. that's just a loophole that, <laughs> yeah. that he's picked up on and fair play you've got to kill the clock when you're on the road so it's, mean, it's, it's, it's a smart a, a, a smart very move. Belichick move and he's obviously from that school of thought right we need to very wary of the time we've already been at this for nearly 50 minutes we need to look ahead to the divisional round uh, we'll very quickly touch on these uh, we tend to look back more than we look forward in these podcasts. So up first, obviously, the Niners host the Vikings. Uh, I was certain we'd be hosting the Seahawks, I'll be honest. I saw that as a repeat. So um, from a, from that point of view, I'm pleased it's not Seattle because I've seen enough of that. But I know that we face one hell of a game from the Vikings. I think that we need to find a way to get to Cousins, put him under pressure. We need to make sure that we can stop Dalvin Cook. If we can do that and we can man- and make sure that, you know, Shanahan's playbook is working against that Viking defense that showed themselves more than capable against a, what is a very, an elite level playbook manager in Sean Payton, um, we need to be right on both sides of the ball if we've got a chance to win this. Uh, the week off, I don't think always counts in your favor. Though apparently D Ford, Quan Alexander, are both going to be back, and it's going to be the first time we're going to have most of our defensive lineup for a long time uh, in this season. So that'll be interesting. I hope they've not rushed them back too soon. Um, but I'm a cynical, negative fan in all things, so I'm wary of this one. But hopeful is probably the best way to describe it. It's going to be one in the trenches. That one, I think, um, it's going to be run. Not the only game I think this weekend, but it'll be run heavy. And I think if that 49ers front can get the better of some questionable pieces in the Vikings line. Cousins isn't the most mobile, I think, because he's in for a tough afternoon. And if if the 49ers themselves can continue to run the ball at a fantastic rate, they have done at home. Yeah, I can see the 49ers taking that one. Ravens-Titans up next. I'm skipping past it, Paul, before you can even interject there. <laughs> and hope the best for Kirk Cousins. You can keep that to yourself. <laughs> Ravens-Titans, though. Uh, it, just saying there, in the trenches, this is a run this is a run game. Two teams that will be run first. Uh, the Ravens, obviously, Super Bowl favourites at the moment, have had one hell of a season. The Titans have shown themselves capable, though. Could be a good one. I'm going to reference the other game as well, so I don't particularly care that you've moved past it, because I think it's exactly the same in both situations. The 49ers are not facing the team they were expecting, neither are the Ravens. The Vikings are going in almost feeling... You know, they've done the job already and the Texans are doing the same because they weren't, you know, they would have believed they would have won, but not everybody expected. So do they think they've done enough for their season? Do they switch off slightly or do they think we're giving this a go? Do Baltimore and San Francisco think this is easier than it was going to be? And that can have a negative effect on your preparation. You don't have Drew Brees and the Saints coming in. You don't have Tom Brady in New England. So... You know, I, I just think that these games have got that, that little edge that the team on the road, I think if they start quickly, could put the team at home in a bit of trouble. No, definitely. Um, and you'll be hoping for that in the 8 o'clock game on the Sunday as the Texans return to Kansas City, where they've already won this season. And you, you were there and saw it through a flu, did you not? I did, yeah. It was an interesting <laughs> week of my life, that. Um <laughs> 
I'm sure that game helped what, cure the flu. <laughs> one of I've got a huge amount of respect for all the original franchises and what a stadium that is. If anybody's ever thinking about going, I could not recommend it enough. You walk into this and in, down into the stadium, the noise is phenomenal. Uh, proper old school, you know, foot, or football or any sporting franchise, uh, fantastic. We dominated them that day. Now it would be the most Texans thing to win it in the regular season and lose in the playoffs. Cameron's been pretty good at predicting against his own team, so I might do the same. <laughs> I, I won't hold it against you. Uh, and then on the last game, I've already warned Charles Patterson. Uh, you know, he seemed to be quite happy that it was the Seahawks and not the Saints coming to town. But I, th- the Seahawks have had more than a hoodoo over the Packers for a couple of seasons now. Uh, a couple of times that they've just stuck it to them. Granted, tends to be at home uh, more than it is away. But this is a, a big game for both these teams and it's no easy one for the Packers. Do you not think that, and I, I'm, I'm not the only person because I've heard this numerous times, that the 13-3 record from the Packers is one of the softest ones in out there. They've ran the ball really well and Aaron Rodgers has, continues to have whatever he wants to do against his head coach and his ego continues to lead the way. So I, I think that game could go either way. It's the closest one in terms of point spread. Yeah. Um, I, I, going to Green Bay is difficult, uh, yeah. particularly what the weather will be like at this time of year. You just never know um, in Wisconsin. So I, I, you think the 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 Packers will will will, uh, will walk out just, but as you said, the escapability of Russell Wilson always keeps them in it. And yeah. but it's just they can't run the ball at the minute. The the, the Seahawks. So and if if Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, yeah, if, yeah. He, if he can run the ball for the Packers, I think that that'll be enough to. To, uh, to to control the clock. I think it just depends on the game plan that Aaron Rodgers wants to put in. And we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. You know, being a player coach hasn't been easy. It's but been a surprise, I think, as well. I think a lot of the, any Green Bay fan would tell you that they didn't think LeFleur would do the job that, or, or the job that Rodgers potentially did. <laughs> well, th- this is the question. I'm yeah. still not convinced of the relationship between the two. Now, winning soothes so many things. Yeah. But when it comes down to the crunch, you know, if they find themselves a score or two scores down in the fourth quarter, who leads that team in terms of the actual play calling? You know, does Lafleur have enough influence, or does Rogers just go cowboy and just decide and it's been to do it himself? Defense, isn't it? That's that's you know the Smith brothers on the edge. You know, they drafted Gary's had not played in as many snaps because they've been that effective. So unreasonable free agent deals at an edge rusher position. So. Yeah, I think the Packers probably just sneak it just, but you would never roll out Wilson the 49ers in that dirty defence. According to, according dirty, to dirty <laughs> defence. Don't get them started. It is as bad as I am on the Saints and referees. Cameron on Seahawks. My trigger point. It's my trigger point. It's definitely a trigger. Still the luckiest team in the NFL, honestly. Right, um, so we'll move on because we're going to come to the news. But before that, uh, this time of year, it's not just about the Super Bowl and the playoffs. Of course, it's the end of the college season. We don't talk about a huge amount of college football on the podcast, but LSU play Clemson uh, in the Superdome. Uh, LSU not having far to travel for that one. We've done that journey ourselves. It's thoroughly enjoyable. Can highly recommend that one as well. Um, But ahead of that, we thought perfect time to check in with Scotland's very own uh, college football representative. So we caught up with David Ajabo to find out about his first year in Michigan. So, David, thank you for joining us once again. It's been a while since we spoke to you. At that point, you were getting ready for the season ahead. How was year one for you in Michigan? It was good. Uh, for sure, developmental year. Uh, see myself get better uh, as the weeks went by. Uh, and leading up to year two, where things are going to go up from there. 
So what's been the biggest challenge that you've had in your first year? Uh, definitely just adjusting to the speed of things and uh, also IQ, just knowing the game, you know, small little reads that, uh, you know, could give away a lot, you know what I'm saying? My, our coach always says, see a little to see a lot. So it's just raising my IQ at the game. And what's been the biggest difference then between sort of high school football and college football? Definitely just we're playing with grown men now, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, we're not kids anymore, so everybody's going to get hit. Get hit hard. And how do you compare in size to some of them? Uh, height-wise, I'm good, you know. Weight-wise, I mean, it varies per position, but, you know, we have some 270, 280-pounders. So. And do they hit pretty hard even in training? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's 100% every time. And how are you adjusting to that then? Obviously, you're going to be getting slapped a bit harder this this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, as the years go by, you know, competition rises. So I expect to be hit harder and I expect to hit harder too. And what about the actual game day experience then? How have you found, obviously, the big difference between high school and college, especially playing at what is, the, I think, the second biggest stadium in the world? Um, you know, yeah. what's the atmosphere like at Michigan? Uh, it's, it's a lot of energy. You know, you can tell the fans are really into it. Uh, but the fans are also really honest, too. You know, they'll let you know we're having a bad game, having a good game. So, you know, it's uh, over 100,000 people, so it's real loud, too. And what's it like on campus, then? Obviously, on a, on a Saturday, the fans are there. They're very focused on football. But are you getting attention, you know, all all throughout the week as you're on campus? Yeah, I mean, people wishing wishing us good luck as we go by you know, because like I said, they're loyal fans and they want to see us win. And of all the places that you travelled to then, um, obviously, you know, you've been going away with the team. Is there any other stadiums that you really enjoyed going to? Oh, uh, nah, nothing compared to Michigan. Yeah. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, the big house, yeah. And then, so what is the hope then for year two? Uh, year two, uh, definitely get a solid rotation going in. Uh, you know, even fight for a starting role, you know, uh, that's what camp is for. So, wow, I'm definitely going to get active. Uh, my role is going to increase. And what do you have to do between now and the season then starting again? Uh, I just got to keep my keep my weight up and definitely get stronger, you know, because <clears throat> uh, it's not a practice team anymore. You know, it's the, I'm about to be playing, so... It's time to grow up, pretty much. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge you think you're going to face then during this off-season? Obviously, you've mentioned the IQ. You've mentioned you've got to keep your weight up. What's, yeah. Other than that, what's going to be the, the one thing that you're like, right, i really got to tackle that head-on? Uh, I think studying film, you know, because now, it's not, like I said, it's not practice team anymore, so you got to really know your opponent, especially the tackle you'll be going against or, you know, the guard you'll be going against, so... So we're just studying the game more and being more invested into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what about watching the college game then? Are you uh, Have you taken the the opportunity to learn more about the game? Are you watching much of the college football? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I practice, you know, I'm part of one. So, like, it's just crazy seeing other schools do good, you know, other schools do bad. Like, just see, being a part of the whole experience and, it's, it's surreal. And will you be watching the LSU-Clemson final then? 
Oh yeah, for sure. And who for do you sure. think's winning that one? Uh, I mean, I have my money on LSU. Uh, I think they, you know, they have a <laughs> the best quarterback in college football. So I think he'll produce. And what about, you know, the players that you're playing with, who are the guys that you're looking to to try and follow in their footsteps? Who are the guys that are coaching you to be more like them? Uh, definitely Josh Uche. You know, he's the one that actually just graduated. Uh, and he's going entering the draft for 2020. So I intend on filling his shoes, you know, trying to, because he was, I think, leading the country in uh, pressures on the quarterback or something like that. So, you know, big shoes to fill, but. I'm definitely going to try and follow his footsteps. And how you find that being away from Scotland? Obviously, this is now the second full year that you've been away, really. Uh, do you miss home, yeah. or are you finding it quite easy to sort of transition into Michigan? Mm, no, nah, I think it's only the time, because I was away for a year this time. But while I was in high school, you know, it was probably like four months, five months, you know, never a year, though. So I think this time around, I definitely missed home a lot more, but you know, I would say I've adjusted for the most part. Brilliant. And what's it like working with the coaches then? Obviously, Jim Harbaugh is a, a name that's mm-hmm. known throughout college football, known throughout the NFL. Mm-hmm. But Michigan yeah. have got quite a depth of coaching staff there as well. What have those coaches been like? Uh, you know, from the strength staff to nutritionists to the coaches, Autumn, they just they want to see us succeed. So... They give us their best effort and expect us to do the same back. You know, I work real close with one of the strike staff members who was also a who was also a, a pass rusher. So like they they don't just do you know their job. They also try and like do more. You know what I'm saying to make sure you get the best. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then uh, do you look at things like the success of Jamie Gillen at? Cleveland obviously a different position different story but ultimately grew up in Scotland like yourself is now playing in the NFL um is that something mm-hmm. that you aspire to follow in the footsteps of yeah for sure I mean it'd be great to have two of them up there but uh like I said I represent Scotland and Nigeria of course so trying to do my best uh find a flight Absolutely. And listen, Scotland is very proud of you. We love hearing from you. And, you know, we're talking on this podcast. We're about to announce them. We've got a partnership with ESPN Player. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to seeing you in year two, seeing you in action and, you know, really enjoying the story. So, listen, we wish you all the very best. Um, are you still a Houston's Texans fan for now or you find yourself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, my host family is kind of trying to switch me over to be a Patriots fan. So I guess by <laughs> default, I'm a Patriots fan. <laughs> no, you got to fight against that. You got to fight against that. <laughs> yeah. Texans all the way. You got to be happy though with the Texans how they did in the playoffs. Yeah, true, true, true. Absolutely right. Listen, David, thank you so much. Brilliant to catch up with you as ever. We wish you all the very best, and we'll catch up with you again before the season starts and get another wee update from you if that's okay. All right, sounds good, man. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. I be. Brilliant to hear from David then, uh, and hopefully we're going to follow on and follow his story. And Paul, I'm delighted to be able to tell you and everybody that we have got a little sponsorship deal with ESPN Player to give away a year's 
access to ESPN Player on behalf of ESPN so that you can watch college football. But not just that, ESPN Player is going to be the only place in the UK to be able to watch all XFL football as well, which starts just after the Super Bowl. So if you're thinking, oh, February, what am I going to do? Well, February, March and April, you've got the XFL coming up. ESPN Player is the only place to be able to do it. Stay tuned to our Twitter feed. We're delighted to be working with ESPN Player on that one. And, and I don't think Booger's going to be covering any of it, so that's a great thing. But um, brilliant to have them on board. We're absolutely delighted to be working with ESPN on this one. I'm really pleased to be able to give that away. And it means that you'll be able to follow David Ajabo in his year two at Michigan as well. Hopefully see some field time and, uh, and continue to grow as a football player. I tell you what, some of the bowl coverage from ESPN this year has been outstanding. There's been some great games, but I think the coverage is, is genuinely exceptional. Gary Danielson remains one of my favourite analysts of the whole time and they did, the, I think it was the, the Sun Bowl and they had the new coach I'm trying to remember the name of the team in sitting watching his team play and the interaction between them was utterly outstanding, great broadcasting so looking forward to giving away you know, a subscription to ESPN Player, be good yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a big game to watch as well. LSU Clemson will be interested to see how that one pans out. Obviously, we'll be rooting for LSU, but uh, you might have to have an opinion on that one uh, if you're going to take part in our competition. Right. Beyond that, though, news items. We obviously talked earlier. There's some new head coaches in play. Uh, a couple of interesting appointments made today. Well, pa- the Panthers. Panthers and Giants, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I mean, the Panthers made their hire. Jason Garrett was then floated as a potential, and almost immediately the Giants came in. Special teams coach, so that's unusual. Oh, so the, yeah, so it's the Joe Judge, who I'd never really heard of until this season. I think he was a special teams coordinator in 2015. I think he was yeah. wide receiver. In yeah, 2015, and then now he's the, the QB slash wide receiver coach yeah, this year. Yeah. Um, I don't really know much about him apart from the fact that I saw his name float for the Mississippi State job, which is his alma mater. But apart bar that, I'm, again, it was one of these ones, I think, and maybe in the similar vein to Mike Vrabel, that this guy was decided he was going to be a, a head football coach in the National Football League. I mean, Patriots assistant, before. he's obviously got, you know, a great pedigree, but I don't think anybody was particularly quoting him for an NFL job. And I thought the Giants would have gone with a slightly safer pair of hands. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if anybody, if anybody follows me, they'll see I got in a spat with James Palmer of uh, NFL Network, but he certainly outlined to me that, and I said, why does the, the Andy Reid tree continue to get coaching? And he fairly outlined some successes they'd had, and only the only success pre-Saturday um, of the Belichick tree was the one playoff win for O'Brien in the Texas. Everyone else had been relatively unsuccessful. So an interesting hire. I've got absolutely no clue how that one will turn out. I thought Matt Rule would have got the job at the Giants, already been on the coaching staff in 2012, I think. But then it's come out what he's been paid, and that was quite clear why he signed in uh, Carolina. He's $8.5 million a year and a $1.5 million a year incentive on top of that. So I, th- I wouldn't want to be uh, David Tepper at the next owners' meeting. I think you'll have a, a few people who have something to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say it's interesting. You know, David Tepper basically said, you know, what, what will it take for you not to get on that plane? You know, and go to New York because he was due to interview with them. So... You know, he paid big time. I mean, we've also overlooked the fact that, you know, Dallas have got a new coach, which is, to many people, a surprise. You know, I think he gets a bit of a bad reputation um, because he did such, you know, a long time at Green Bay. But McCarthy to Dallas, I didn't see coming. Did you see the video series he did where he'd hired analytics experts or analysts, whatever you want to call them? 
uh, and did this big project over the summer about keeping in tune with the game. And I don't know if that's what sold it to Jerry Jones because I think if you were looking at his resume and he only won one Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers. I don't. Th- I mean, okay, and you can blame Ted Thompson for you know he was ill in the latter years and didn't necessarily fortify that roster in a position to make them win, but. When you've got a quarterback like that, who's probably first ballot Hall of Fame, about three to four years ago was unplayable. Only what one in one Super Bowl. I would suggest a bit of an underachievement. So I don't think necessarily from the reaction I've seen that if you're a Cowboys fan, will be enamoured by that appointment. I, don't, I thought you know they would have gone for a rule, a Lincoln Riley, you know, uh, that next wave of of mould of coach. Obviously, the Sean McVay could have. Things been and gone and, you know, you just had to know his uncle and you got a job last year. <laughs> this year it's kind of changed a bit and they've gone with, you know, it's, I don't think it's necessarily falling apart, but there hasn't been as many jobs open, I think, year on year. So interesting um, to see. But yeah, I think if you were a Cowboys fan, would you be that? Uh, would you be that excited about next year? I don't know. Apparently he's going to inherit much of, most of the coaching staff um, that Jerry Jones wanted to keep on. I think what's interesting is the Scott Linehan offense that was maligned and then when they change coordinators this year McCarthy runs a very similar system to the former so is that the best thing for Dak when he's about to try and sign a new contract don't know but interesting one I think the Cowboys fans are just happy that it's not Jason Garrett uh, and it was weird as well the announcement that it, it just seemed to be lingering there was nothing said nothing said um, I think I said in a tweet it feels like um you know, the 17-year-old guy whose girlfriend's told him that she's wanting to see other people and he, he kind of hangs around waiting that she, maybe she doesn't and she'll change her mind. And I don't know, Jason, it just felt like, oh, do you know what, things someone better off you trot, Jason. Thanks for everything. See you later. Ugh. I'm not sure he'll get another job as well. Um, maybe the Browns. That's the only one I can think of. I think of. he was meant to interview today for the offensive coordinator and Giants, apparently. So on the- offensive coordinator yeah, Giants, right? Apparently. Okay. So... That's about. I mean, a step down, obviously, from from where he was. So well, anything's um, a step down yeah. from the head coach of Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. yeah, and I think I don't think there's much doubt about that. I think I mean he'll get another head coaching gig. It just depends whether he wants to take a year off. Not everybody does. You know, he might just want to take that step back. It depends. You know, where do you want to go? You know, the bright lights in New York might appeal to him. You just don't know what's in the personal background of these things. So, you know, if the Giants came calling, that just might be the exact thing he was looking for. I think the reason why it took so long is, well, I think I, mean, I think I'm pretty certain he was paid as a head coach prior to even being a head coach, and he was the Jones's hand-picked man. So for it not to work out, I think, probably why you saw Jerry, and he loves a show and he loves a press conference and a T-shirt sale as a result of it, but <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he, he, I think it hurt him to let him go, I think, and that's why it took so long, but... Yeah. Interesting to see, but uh, I mean, if, if McCarthy's an underwhelming appointment, then I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. Um, right, any other news items then before we close things off for this episode? No, I just think it's been a fascinating you know, week of football, fascinating weekend of stories of, of head coaches. That's what we always expect at this time of year. And I think we've got a lot to to chew over, you know, in the close season, you know, how McCarthy will do, you know, you know the Giants hiring, you know, an assistant Joe Judge that, I don't think many people could have named before today. You'd have to go quite far down the depth chart. And I think there's a lot of interesting stories that are developing. You know, I mentioned will the Bills finally, you know, tip the Patriots. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. But I think at the moment, you know, just concentrating on the teams that are still there. I think we've got, I think, three decent games this weekend. I'm not sure we've got four. Uh-huh. The two are tangled over one, I think, was the big one this week, wasn't it? About him coming out and how that'll impact the draft order versus his injury and 
we're getting to that stage now, isn't it? Where the free free agents are starting to be some be signed up already, and that wave of transition and change that can define a team in every team. Probably you watch from one year to the next is completely different. So we're getting to that point when it starts to get interesting without football being played. Yeah, there, there was no doubt Tua was coming out into the draft. Absolutely none. From his point of view, he's now going to get paid. Now whether he gets paid a shed load of money, a truckload of money or just a lot of money, he's going to get paid. Now, he could injure himself week one in college and he's done, never plays in the pros. It was an absolute, utter no-brainer he had to go to take the money. Because let's be honest, even, you know, you get a $5 million signing bonus, you could be set for life. It's an utter no-brainer. you got to imagine he's got enough talent as well. I mean, he was favourite for the Heisman before the uh, season started. Obviously, Joe Burrow had one hell of a But if year. you look at the, you know, the injuries... It was tank for two, wasn't it? Yeah, you know? If you look at the injuries he's had, he's one knock away yeah. in college from never playing and the there will be there will be question marks coming in, but it's whether someone takes the risk on him or not. Um, or not, someone will. I someone, mean, yeah. utterly no doubt someone will. And uh, we'll be able to use the ESPN player that we've been given access to, but we'll be doing a review of uh, our sponsors, uh, to go and look back at some of the college games and uh, and do some research ahead of the draft. Because obviously, uh, once the football season gets done, we've got the XFL, but from an NFL point of view, after the Super Bowl, it's free agency, then it's the draft. Uh, really looking forward to it this year. Again, there's some big names. I think we all know who's going number one already, but there's stories like the 201, where will he end up? Will he end up in Miami, where people seem to think he was going to go? Or does some Something come along, you know. Does uh, do the Patriots maybe trade Brady away? Maybe he's been told by Bobby Kraft that Florida is a good place to go for your career if you want to have a happy ending. Um, but the Panthers, I think they've got to be in the market. They've got a new coach. But who's his quarterback? Who's Matt Rose' quarterback going to be? I don't know. Might yep. be one for there. Um, I've I've held this opinion for a long time. I don't know if you watched Joe Burrow last year, but I've had the opinion he will be in inverted commas a draft bust. Oh, so just get that record now. But yeah, it comes be, be interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned the happy ending. That's not in Brady's <laughs> own hands. So we'll just wait and see how that goes. Right on that note, um, we are going to. Do you know what? It's a new decade, so it's time for a new closing message. That wraps up everything for episode 83. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Share your thoughts with us on this episode via Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. We're growing all the time but need your help to keep doing so. We appreciate every retweet and every share of our podcast. Please keep doing so. And if you've got time, leave us a review on iTunes. We hope you can come along and join us on January 19th at the Golf Tavern as we get together once again for Championship Sunday. It's always a fun night. We love getting a pub full of NFL fans together. Looking forward to getting you and back, hopefully to celebrate Texan success, but also to talk draft. And he teased us with the Joe Burrows draft bust yeah. there. Definitely be coming back. Remember, keep voting every day to help us determine Scotland's team of the decade. Look out for our ESPN player competition. We'll be back next week to discuss all the divisional round outcomes. But until then, bye for now. <laughs>